This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. (laughs) Yeah. We're doing it for real. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Molly. Hi. Hi, Thanks for having me. Hi, Molly. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so glad you're here again. It's our favorite guest, Molly. (laughs) Wow. Thank you. This is lovely. I mean, yeah, we've had like three guests. Whoa. Still, it's an honor to be a three-peat. Yeah. We are really excited to talk to you, and even though we're all still in quarantine. I'm finding all of Star Trek really cathartic to watch during this time. Um, so I've been rewatching um, TNG a lot and uh, Deep Space Nine. It's been really chill. I wish I had a holodeck, though. That'd be awesome. Holodeck would yeah. be great. <laughs> oh, I so I got my virtual background up. It's like my holodeck. I started watching Community, and they have the Dreamatorium that is like a hundred percent a ripoff of a holodeck. Yes, yes. So. Well, it's an homage. It's an homage, of course. Oh my God! Speaking of homage, my dad just called me yesterday because he got Hulu for the quarantine, and he goes, mm. "So I've been watching the Orville." Like, all right, awesome. I like the Orville. And he goes, yeah, so does the Orville take place before or after Star Trek? Oh, my God. It it doesn't. It's not in that same universe. He goes, I think that it is. So that's my dad's spicy hot take is that the Orville takes place in the Star Trek universe. So you heard it here first. Yeah, Yeah, that's like Joachim was shocked that I hadn't watched Babylon 5. And he was like, I thought you've seen all of Star Trek. (laughs) I was like, no, honey, no. (laughs) (laughs) So what are we what are we talking about today? Oh, yeah, we're talking about Star Trek 2009, J.J. Verse. This was my entree into Star Trek. I had never seen anything Star Trek until I watched this movie when it came out. That's amazing. I know. I'm here today. Yeah. How old were you, Molly? (laughs) This is a great story. So this came out the summer between or right before the end of school, my senior year of high school before I went to college. Mm, so mm, I mm. think on my last day of school, I literally went and took myself to this movie for the second time. And all told that summer, I saw this movie four and a half times because I was obsessed with it. So what was the half time? So glad you asked, Becca. <laughs> <laughs> so my family went to a drive-in movie theater once that summer, and I oh, voted. I drive-ins. I know. They'd be coming handy right now. Um, I voted we go see Star Trek again, but they're like, Molly, we took you to see that twice already. <laughs> We're going to go see Ice Age three and i was like well (laughs) i'm gonna use the car radio to tune into the screen behind us and watch (laughs) half of star trek in the (laughs) trunk of my dad's nissan pathfinder i watched this for like the halftime so that's i've seen this movie a bunch yeah amazing or just a testament to how bad ice age three is i don't think i saw that one yeah me neither (laughs) (laughs) this is amazing so you basically went your whole childhood without watching any star trek 
That's crazy. None. None. We were a Star Wars family. And uh, this that summer that this came out, I was like, I need all of this right now. (laughs) So I went to go see this in the movie theater a bunch. And then uh, I watched all of um, original series. Mm. And then when I got to college, I met my friend Holly. Shout out, Holly. Um, And we used to do something called Trek Thursdays, which is where we would have breakfast together and watch Star Trek in our dorm. So I feel like this is a callback to Trek Thursdays because I'm hanging out with my buds and talking about this movie. So, And it is Thursday Thursday right now. It's Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of starting my day with Star Trek, like breakfast and Trek. Trek Fist is perfect. Yeah. It's so good. (laughs) <laughs> it's usually my like go to sleep show, but that that's an interesting. Uh... Well, I like to say Star Trek in the morning, Star Trek in the evening, Star Trek at supper time. When you have yes. Star Trek in your Star Trek, you can have Star Trek anytime. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I like to say. So, <laughs> oh. Joe Akeem and I refer to our hypothetical future unborn children as the pizza bagels because pizza I'm Italian bagels. and he's Jewish. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> and oh, I love no, the pizza love bagel it. jiggle so much. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this was really my entry into my hardcore fandom because um, that summer Netflix put every single Star Trek movie onto Netflix mm-hmm. um, when they hadn't been before in order to get people hyped for Star Trek 2009. Mm-hmm. So in like the month before it came out, when I was really bored, I watched all of the Star Trek films and then uh, like went from someone who kind of sort of watched Voyager and DS9 when I was in middle school to like someone who was very invested in the franchise. Wow. Um, I was wondering if like Molly, uh, maybe you could like try to summarize it for us since this uh-huh. is one of your favorite films and you wrote fan fiction about it. I and did. I having no preparation for this at all, I thought it would be funny to see what you come up with. Awesome. So, uh, <laughs> Yes, all of that is true. I wrote several uh, bits of fan fiction about this. I listened to the audiobook. I was obsessed with this book, with this uh, yeah. movie. <laughs> and I have a fun treat from the audiobook that I'll talk to you guys about later. Um, but Ew. it's awesome. Okay, <clears throat> so Star-, <laughs> Star Trek 2009 uh, begins by opening an alternate timeline wherein James Kirk's family... His dad dies. He grows up a renegade orphan, has to be tricked into joining Star Trek. (laughs) And sort of this is the alternate origin story to all of these characters who we have already met in Star Trek, the original series. Uh, The big conflict in this movie is time traveling Romulan Eric Bana. And uh, they all go through hijinks to get the actual Enterprise crew together on a ship together. Uh, in this alternate timeline known canonically as the Kelvinverse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's Star mm-hmm. Trek 2009. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. There's like some unnecessary fencing on a drill in the middle of that. You love I, to see it. I yeah. love the fencing. The fencing so is not unnecessary. No. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's necessary. I love it, but it's just like, yeah, why I don't you bring so a sword much. for this mission? <laughs> it's so gratuitous. I am totally into yeah, it. And he then, literally um, brought a sword oh, to a gunfight. And then Leonard Nimoy shows up, which I feel like really makes the film. Yes. yes. Yeah, man. So yeah, Leonard Nimoy, uh, Winona Ryder. Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry. I Tyler forgot. Perry. <laughs> Tyler Perry being like a general or somebody. 
It's so ignorant. It's like the only non-Tyler Perry movie Tyler Perry has ever been in. It's it's insane. It was I mean he's on screen for like 15 seconds, right? Yeah. It's Do like think- he won a fan contest <laughs> to be in this movie. <laughs> I know. I love how like all these celebrities like beg to get into Star Wars and like Star Trek just like had Tyler Perry. He was like, please. And they're like, okay, fine. <laughs> they get like one like cameo. A massive celebrity for a certain subset of people. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. In fact, I think in some circles, this movie is called Tyler Perry's Star Trek 2009. <laughs> yeah. Medea in space. Oh, yeah. Medea in oh. space. <laughs> Uh, all right so should should we get into it yeah my first like i my first impressions are just that like i forgot how much i like this film Mm -hmm. um so (laughs) i was really enjoying rewatching it i think it's really beautiful which is crazy because like one of the things that people are always bitching about on the internet is like the cinematography in jj verse and I'm like, why? It looks so cool. Like, that was one of my favorite parts. It looks gorgeous. I, I really like it. But you know what? I have to say, I was struck this time by how untrekky it is. I, mm. You know, even though this was my entree to the Trek universe, after having consumed basically all the other movies, a bunch of every series save for Enterprise... Mm-hmm. This feels so different and not in a bad way, just in a like, whoa, I understand if hardcore Trekkers don't like this. Yeah. I get it and, now. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. like to that point, I was actually wondering how Becca feels about this film because I feel like you are the most uh, like traditional hardcore uh, Trek fan of the three of us and like you grew mm-hmm. up with it. And then also... Um, I think some of the things you've complained about in the newer series is like the action sequences. So a lot of what I found myself wondering while I watch this is like, oh, I wonder what Becca thinks of this scene. <laughs> well, I so I rewatched this like maybe a month ago and had not taken notes, but I was like, okay, I'm going to rewatch it again, but I don't quite have enough time. And so I'm going to like fast forward through the parts that I don't (laughs) know, don't contain plot really. So in this most recent rewatch, I just skipped them. Um, (laughs) So what parts don't make the cut? uh, What's missing in Becca's cut of Star Trek 2009? (laughs) It's like 15 minutes. A lot of whiz bang, like people shooting at each other in space. (laughs) Um, and like lots of things like flying at your head. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I'm like, it does look very beautiful cinematography wise and like choreography. I guess it's, it's well done, but God, I'm trying to remember what I felt about it when I was, when I saw it in theaters, I think I was excited about it, but at that point in time, I had never watched any original series. Mm. It, with the, I had I had seen a few of the original cast movies, mm-hmm. and so to me, it felt like okay. I understand that we're like bringing back these characters that are not the next generation people that I actually care the most about. So <laughs> it's a movie. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, to your point about the action scene, though, is I think it's the commentary on this movie, which, yeah, I also watched the commentary to this movie. I really like it. Nice. Um, Somebody says that traditional Star Trek is submarine warfare. So Mm. it's a big to it's a choice to include that much like hand to hand combat in this movie because it spices up what is normally like just engage Engage blasters, you know? (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Attack pattern delta, evasive maneuvers. Like, yeah, it's much more visceral about the, like, the physicality of space battle. Yeah. Although Kirk gets in his fair share of fist fights somehow. (laughs) Yes. I was actually, like, one of the things that I noticed about this movie in this particular rewatch is that lots of people get into brawls. Or I should say... Kirk gets into a lot of brawls. Yeah. Poor Chris Pine's face gets beaten to shit in this movie several times. It's yes. so it's so hot. Sorry. Oh my god. I, I He's just like sporting those, those welts just like perfectly accent his cheekbones. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh god. Yeah. Yeah, he's very sexy. Swoon. I think both of the male leads in this movie are just divine like if Mm, i could choose mm, to be mm. locked in a room forever with two fictional characters i would do that like i my vagina wants to take a nap on the pillowy lips (laughs) of both of them at once like it's incredible (laughs) lord this movie should be called lips and eyebrows in space because frankly that's that's all i can see (laughs) oh god (laughs) I mean, I think that, like, the original Spock and Kirk are also pretty hot, but, like, the way that these two actors improve upon them is definitely in the the lip, the labial facial region. <laughs> <laughs> they can be in my labial facial <laughs> Yeah, I think I, like, backed mm-hmm. into my crush on Leonard Nimoy from Zachary Quinto, because these nice. guys were my first. So when mm-hmm. I watched original series that summer i was like okay yeah it's still cuties i can i can watch this show this is awesome mm-hmm. i love how how angry and uh edgy and like <sighs> just like the hard edge to spock's sarcasm in this film I, I love it so much i find um because of my deep-seated issues like anger and sarcasm in men just like very attractive <laughs> you're not alone babe i'm just you're like so into oh my god and i also feel like they definitely play up chris pine's sex appeal in this film maybe from here we could go into the conversation of the bechdel test but like i was on like bechdeltest.com which exists and uh like one of the objections that the people have to like this film passing the bechdel test is like the two women who speak to each other in this movie are in their underwear <laughs> But I'm like, Chris Pine is also in his underwear in this scene. Like, we saw his ass, like, he was dry humping Gala a second ago, and it was great. So I feel like everyone gets fan service in this scene, and I'm not sure what people are complaining about. That's a good point. What do you, what do you think about the Bechdel eligibility? I don't know. I think it's borderline at best. They're like, <laughs> yeah, it's they have with. a... Very short conversation about the thing that Uhura heard, heard in her lab, but it's like from the POV of of Kirk under the bed. Yeah, like you said, they're both in their underwear. I will say their lingerie is 
top notch. Chef's kiss. Like I very know. good. <laughs> I love that I love that Uhura is just like going about her business at the academy and is like wearing a matching bra and panty set. Like who like my bra never matches my underwear. Like no one who does that under just like their regular clothes. Not me, baby. She does. Well, I have to say, uh, this is kind of a, a selfish interjection. Gala is my favorite character in this movie, and that's the subject of all of my 2009 fan fiction is Gala. Like, I wrote stories and stories and stories about this character that's in the film for, like, two minutes. Wow. Oh, my God. Tell us. Wait, I want to hear why. Tell tell us what why. What did she do I in her life that you've invented? I have no idea. I think the only thing that I can sort of give credence to it is... I definitely wanted to fuck Captain Kirk for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I really loved Spock and Ahura, but didn't think I could write for them because I didn't think I was like smart enough to write for Spock. That's a whole other thing. Um, mm. But and I was also it blindingly horny. So I decided <laughs> to write from that perspective. Do y'all know Gala's character is actually like the unsung sort of catalyst of certain things in this movie? Hmm. Uh, explain. This gets revealed in the audiobook, which I highly recommend you read. It's a novelization by a guy named Alan Dean Foster. And the audiobook is narrated by Zachary Quinto. My jaw just dropped. Yeah, it's so hot. It's <laughs> I've beat off to this audiobook several times. It's awesome. <laughs> it is truly great. It is so good. It's such a treat. And it's on YouTube for free. Whoa. Check it out. Uh, anyhow, so in the movie, there's a scene right before Kirk goes to take the Kobayashi Maru where he tells Bones he has to go study. And then it's a quick cut to him and Gala dry humping. Now, what the audiobook fills in context wise is Gala works in the engineering booth or whatever that manages the test. And at right. the end of the at the end of the audiobook, uh, Zachary Quinto asks, I got to know, how did you pass How did you insert that subroutine? And Kirk says, Orion women talk in their sleep. So you're supposed to infer that he's having this relationship with her and somehow gets like the password to the the program. And because he sleeps with her, he got this information. So he's a real weasel, especially if you consider that the crew of the Farragut dies. So Gala dies. She's like the hero of that part of the story wow. and it's all covered in my fan fiction <laughs> oh my god but it is true in the audiobook version and there's a deleted scene uh where she the um kobayashi maru scene is kind of pulled back and you see her in the in the lab so mm-hmm. it's inferred that way but yeah that's like a whole secret plot that is cut out of the movie i think i this sounds vaguely familiar i feel like i knew I think I've seen that deleted scene because I feel like I knew that she had something to do with it. Same here. Like what I vaguely thought was that he had like gotten her to implant the virus or whatever it was that that made the test winnable. Mm. Um, that they were like that she was like dickmatized. In cahoots. <laughs> dickmatized. I stole that from Becca. Becca used that a few weeks. well and then becca remember a few god now months ago when we recorded i said i had this inkling that admiral archer's dog is okay Mm -hmm. i found out where i got that it's from the very very end of the audiobook they talk about they're in the transporter room and scotty's now mastered transwarp beaming and like the Mm. last line of the audiobook is 
suddenly a beagle appeared safe and sound. <laughs> so just like, if you only listen to some of the audiobook, listen to the last, like, five minutes. It's full of secrets. It's so good. Wow. This definitely sounds worth it. I love, I love Gala because it's, like, heavily implied that she is, like, she's not this woman that Kirk is, like, seducing and she's just like, oh, you're, like, using me for some plot because... Like, Uhura, like, made her promise to stop bringing men back to the room. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Meaning, like, she's bringing dudes back to her place all the time, like, multiple different dudes, and she's, like, getting hers. So this is, like, yes. a situation where, like, two players are, like, hooking up with each other. And I'm just like, yes, girl, get it. Like, you know, like, sex in the city, yes. like, have sex like a man, <laughs> like, get yours. Like, she is, like, a modern woman. I was just going to say, if only there were other women in this film i know besides uhura obviously and it doesn't get better in into darkness because alice eve's character also strips down for zero reason in that movie yes um so even though it's a female main character it's like is it i just want to say like as the the resident bisexual here i don't mind any of those scenes no listen (laughs) none of us mind we all like looking at boobies this is what I'm saying. This is my message for the world. Equal opportunity objectification. Yes. We don't need to stop objectifying women. We just need to start objectifying <laughs> men and people of other genders. And yes. I always I always defend that uh, Carol Marcus scene because like in the other universe, they eventually have a kid together. So it's supposed to be like laying the seed for their attraction. Ah, like I thought she was going to space seed, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was, I was like, oh, she's gonna come back in the third movie, and like they're gonna hook up, but like maybe they just couldn't get her back. I don't know. Oh man, Bechdel test. I am like a strict constructionist when it comes to the Bechdel mm. test, so I think the movie passes. Mm-hmm. Like there are three elements to the Bechdel test. Like, are there two women with names who speak to each other about something other than a man, and like. You can't say that the scene doesn't pass that, even if it's only one scene, even if they're in their underwear, (laughs) like they're talking about two things. They're talking about like what Uhura heard in the lab and they're talking about their conflict as roommates. Mm. So like even if you're like they're talking about the dude under the bed, it's like this ongoing argument that they're having about like how they cohabitate together. And I'm just like, you can't say that it doesn't pass even if it passing doesn't make it a feminist film like technically it passes and like that is the only question that the test asks that's a great argument i i buy it law school (laughs) 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 but i feel like there are bigger questions we could ask like is the movie feminist well, okay, so let's let's list like the female characters with names. Okay, there's Uhura. Boom. Mm-hmm. There's Amanda Grayson. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's does does what did you call her? Gala? Gala? Gala. 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 I just learned that that was her name. Like, oh yeah, they Bloody only say Beale. it once. Yeah, she's the she's like the only Orion woman in all of Star Trek who's like not a slave or uh, doing something super problematic. Yeah. Oh, and also Kirk's mom has a first name. No. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. I don't remember what I, it was. I forgot it, but 
definitely. But she uh, does have a name. Chris Hemsworth like calls her by her name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, that means he fucks a peach at her. Also, how weird does Chris Hemsworth look without a beard? I know. I was like, is that who is that? Oh my god, that's Thor. I know he's so much younger in that movie too, though. Mm-hmm. I still think he's amazingly attractive. I really love. I'm very into Thor. Who's your favorite Chris, Becca? Your favorite? Who's my favorite Chris? Chris? Oh my god, choices are hard. Mm-hmm. Well, there's like, like Pine. Sometimes it's Chris Pine. Sometimes it's Chris Hemsworth. Occasionally it's um, Chris Pratt, which I know is like kind of unpopular, but I fucking love the first Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy movie unapologetically. No, that's, fine. that's fine. I feel like Every there are Chris other Chris's. Uh, Chris Messina in some circles. Um, there's, um, oh, what's his face? The one who's Captain America. Chris, Chris Evans. Evans. Mm hmm. A lot yeah. of people stand Chris Evans. Well, I'm still mad at him for breaking Jenny Slate's heart, so I will not be picking <gasps> Chris Evans. No. I'm a pine. I'm a pine nut, baby. I'm a pine nut. Bang me up, make me <laughs> some nuts. I love it. Yeah, that's my favorite Chris, Ryan. Oh, I I feel like it's Pine or Pratt. That's really hard, but I Oof. I just love Parks and Recreation so much. So even when it's like Jurassic Park or. It's Guardians of the Galaxy, and he's all buff. I'm still imagining Andy Dwyer doing all this stuff, and I just fucking love him. Wow. Yes. Wow. I didn't know I fell into the Pratt pack, but okay. <laughs> I, I, the cheese stands alone, I guess. I think that his real-life behavior is a little problematic, and I just try to like cover my ears and uh, close my <laughs> eyes and pretend like he didn't say whatever he said on Instagram or Twitter. I'm like, no, you didn't join a weird cult church for your new wife. Mm. Yes. Yeah. No shame. <laughs> Based only on their acting, not on their life existence. I want to talk about Zoe Saldana as uh, Niota Uhura. Perfect. Let's do it. Is this the first canonical use of her first name? I Yes. I think so. What I read when we were researching our Uhura episode is that there are non-canonical uses of her name in the Star Trek novels that came out starting like the set, like after the original series. Um, but those novels aren't canon. But when they wrote this film, they were like, well, let's just use that name since people already associate it with her. But this is definitely the first filmed version of her name. Oh, yeah. And it means um, like star in another language, correct? Oh, I want to say Swahili, but that would be really embarrassing if I'm wrong. Um, but if I'm right, keep this in. No, I think that's definitely her language definitely is Swahili because I-, I remember her mentioning that um, on one of the original series episodes when they're all hearing an alien talk in their own language. Oh. Mm. I feel like Nichelle Nichols told me that it meant that one time. And by told me, I meant said in an interview one time that I heard. (laughs) Well, she was talking to you. Yeah, I think so. I was in the same room with her once and it was breathtaking. Oh, it is? It does? Yes. It means uh, star in the African languages Swahili and Lingala. Mm. Mm. Swahili and Lingala with their arms outstretched. (laughs) <laughs> shaka when the walls fell oh. uh, we got we got yeah. to cover that episode soon Ooh, oh fun. my god yes that is a worth rewatching episode darmok adjalad 
when when y'all do that episode, can you make up your own uh, idioms? Because I always thought it was funny that his instinct is to do Hammurabi. Because uh, again, my constant problem with Star Trek is they don't take into account current stories ever. Yes. So if you guys could just make up one that's like Star Lord. <laughs> in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy or something like yes. that. Yes. Oh, I, I would really it. enjoy. Getting back to Uhura, though. Um, I enjoy her as a character in this in this movie. And I really appreciated that they made her role one that was, like, critical to the plot. Like, her unique ability to discern that transmission is how the Enterprise ends up being in the right place at the right time and not mm-hmm. just destroyed with the fleet. And she provides like emotional support to to Spock. I yeah. also ship Spock and Uhura in Me this. too. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, agree. one of the things we talked about in our Uhura episode is that Uhura doesn't get a lot of shit to do. Like, she adopts the uh, first problematic Tribble. Like, she doesn't get a lot of shit to do in the original series. She gets slightly more to do in the animated series. They never really actualize that character to its, like, to her full capacity and until the J.J. films. And I love it so much. I mean, her character is supposed to be fluent in all these languages and all they ever have her do is like answer communiques. Yeah. It makes me really happy. And I also just like, I love Zoe Saldana because, uh, sorry to come back to this, but like one time she sort of hinted that she might be bisexual. Like, like what she said was she was like, yeah, I could see myself marrying a woman someday. And then everyone was like, are you bisexual? And she's like, I'm not going to put a label on it. Mm. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and I'm just like, girl, you're my favorite. Plus, she just like is in every like major sci-fi film or at least like a lot of them in the That's 2000s. A good point. Molly, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to comment on um, Uhura in TOS. Um, and you're right. She doesn't ever get a lot to do. And there are several episodes where the whole plot is, Uhura, you got to rein in your vanity. Like, stop being so <laughs> yeah. vain. And it's just like, it's in- it's insulting. And I-, I think about whenever I see a particularly dumb Uhura plot line, I'm like, Dr. Martin Luther King fought for this character (laughs) (laughs) to be vain on a different planet. I mean, it's like this classic tension between um, representation and like good representation. (laughs) Respect to like Dr. King, but like he was telling her to like give up better acting roles and like a more fulfilling personal career in order to be inspirational to like young black women doing a a role that was like great for its time but like not that great and that she recognized as being not that great Mm -hmm. and it's something that like happens to uh like african-american female characters again and again like i've been re-watching the newsroom there's this great character Catherine, and after like the second season they do nothing with her and the actress Mm -hmm. eventually quits because she's just like fuck this shit and like she quit for exactly that reason like they stopped writing me good parts and it's like uh. Mm-hmm. But you know, Nichelle Nichols like went on to do amazing things like um with her like ability to speak publicly to people because she had this role, but it must have been mm-hmm. really fr- really frustrating to her. Yeah, I think that picking up her uh work with recruiting for NASA must have 
helped alleviate that frustration because otherwise it's just like she's so beautiful and so talented and she gets to say the same line over and over again <laughs> and, uh, I but thank god that she did she really changed yeah. the world but I love her yes. and I think her warmth gets communicated well in this because if you watch original series she is this like repository of lightness and warmth and sweetness and mm-hmm. you see a little bit of that or you see a lot of that in how she interacts with Spock in this also love her relationship with Spock I'm yes. so here for it I think honestly that's what sold me had there been zero mm. smooching in this movie I might not be a Star Trek fan to this day Um, But there's a lot of smooching in this, and I really appreciate it. Um, But what's fun, if you go back and watch old TOS episodes, you can see, if you watch it with a lens of, like, assuming they're dating, you can see a lot. Yeah, if you're looking (laughs) for it, there's a lot of good ones. There's a lot of ones where it's like, oh, everyone went on shore leave. Who's left on the bridge? Oh, just Spock and Uhura. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> and there's also that one, I think it's Charlie X is the name of the episode where she oh, teases yeah. Spock and she sings a song to him and that's really cute. And he has like, he has a like we have had sex look on his face for sure. Mm. Um, mm. Even though the instinct is to pair chapel with Spock, I don't buy it. Um, <laughs> No, he's not into her. That's like, he's not. That's she's just thing. constantly like bringing him soup and pissing him off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Poor Chapel. Uh, oh my oh. God. I forgot about Charlie X. I love that scene and I hate that episode oh. so much. It's very It's confusing. such a bad episode. <laughs> it's rough. It's really rough. Uh, but speaking yeah. of Chapel, mm. Chapel is as a character, is just not in Star Trek 2009, except for Bones, like, calls to her when he's trying to treat uh, Kirk, Mm -hmm. and somebody off-screen responds, like, with a woman's voice. So, (laughs) like, she's she's there. We just don't ever see her. That was a missed opportunity. Yep. Accurate. And there's even an extra that has, like, a beehive hairdo that you see at one point. Ah! made me excited on this rewatching but I don't I think that's accidental mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well I think the beehive is on purpose though to oh. try to capture the aesthetic but yeah I but not, like not necessarily chapel her. herself yeah Molly you said something a little bit ago about like Star Trek doesn't really bring in like more modern stories and the first thing I because I in my head I was sort of like rifling through like does the JJ Star Trek do that and I feel like the closest they come to it is just incorporating a lot of Beastie Boys. And I was wondering <laughs> where you fall on that. Because it shows up in at least two of the films. I think in this film, it's in the scene where he's driving the, the car or the motorcycle really fast. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's in all of them because I th- it was at least in the Into Darkness trailer, I think, yes. maybe. And I know it's used. I think they use a different Beastie Boys song in whatever star trek beyond or whatever that one is but yeah it's um, like the it's my favorite part of star trek beyond is that like the alien who like found a starfleet ship is just only playing beastie boys to herself again right right right. man that movie's like a fever dream like keep coming back (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think you're right this is beastie boys is like the most recent um inclusion of culture but once again, that's my 
Star Trek soap soapbox is it makes me so mad that they only reference Sherlock Holmes. They should be referencing fucking Jersey Shore or something. Yes. Con- they should honestly, genuinely, they should be referencing like Harry Potter or yes. Lord of the Rings. Yes. Jesus Christ, reference something new because mm-hmm. they would. Yeah. They would like the next the next character like the next Tom Paris who's like obsessed with a holodeck should just be creating like um like a Harry Potter knockoff world for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's just like really showing the hand of the age of the people who write modern Star Trek as they're like back in my day. This was my favorite, uh, which is fine because I think classics endure. But I'm always mad they don't reference something more current. Yeah, that's mm. my speech. So there's this world where, like, the Beastie Boys exist and the eugenics wars happen. So, like, the 90s must have been a bonkers time in the Star Trek universe. That's a great point. That's really funny. Also, I guess you could make the point that it's only, like, white uh, cultural touchstones always. Yes. I think the most we get is maybe, maybe, maybe Cisco talks about, like, jazz musicians. But for the most part... It's a bunch of whiteies all over the place. Yeah, that's yeah, real. Yeah, Cisco's into like, I I feel like Jackie Robinson. Like he met he mentions oh, a yeah, few like African American baseball players and some jazz music. And then I think the reason he like the closest Star Trek ever really comes to talking about like civil rights in the '60s is when he's like, "The reason I'm not going to join your stupid holodeck program is because like it was not a fun time to be African American <laughs> in the '60s. Like, oh. I don't want to come along with you guys to like your like Space Vegas. Like, this is not <laughs> a great time." And then they're just like, "We're all just ignoring that." Like, they they wouldn't want to see aliens either. And then he was like, "Okay, fine." And like, they That's win. A great point. That's so good. True. Oh my god. Poor Cisco, man. <sighs> poor, poor Cisco, indeed. Oh my god. He, he's not even allowed to like Biggie. Like, <laughs> aww. You know he would Cisco like Biggie. Like Biggie. <laughs> wow. What a journey we've been on. Yeah. <laughs> Does anyone want to say anything else about this movie? Like, somebody br- bring me back. Okay. Uh, what I really want to do right now is take a little break because I want to refill my water. Okay. okay. Fair. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. I really want to talk about Amanda Grayson, Ooh. mother of Spock. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a beginning scene where she's like, I'm going to be proud of you no matter what. That's when he's going off to Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And then she tragically dies. <gasps> mm-hmm. And it like pushes Spock over the brink. And it's what like ultimately gets Kirk into the captain's chair. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. significantly, like this is like the first movie that Winona Ryder had been in after a big, big break, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone was mad at her for shoplifting. Yeah. Um, but she's not that much older than Zachary Quinto, so it's truly bananas casting <laughs> to have her play his mom. Yeah, it's really wild. I actually I looked up the relative ages of I knew of, you would. I knew you would <laughs> of the family. So okay, so here it goes. Winona Ryder, who plays Amanda Grayson's Fox mom, it was born in nineteen seventy one. Zachary Quinto 
who plays her son, obviously, is uh, born in 1977. <laughs> so they are six years apart. <laughs> and uh, Ben Cross, who plays Sarah Spock's dad, was born in 1947. Oh, my God. <laughs> literally 36 years older than Winona Ryder. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Oh, my wow. So bizarre. It's really weird casting. It's so weird. <laughs> that that's like in um Indiana Jones the third one where Sean Connery plays his dad and he's like he's like five or six years older than Harrison Ford. Right. <laughs> and they're like, well, he's got a beard, so he's old. Yeah. We named the dog Indiana. Also, I conceived you when I was six. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's why I'm a bad father. I was sick. Because <laughs> he was a child. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, that is bonkers. I don't know. My headcanon is just that they've got like really, really great anti aging products in the 23rd century. <laughs> yeah, technology has advanced. It's advanced enough that you can just look young forever. Yeah. <laughs> the trifling part I realized or the I noticed this time is Sarek claims that he married her and had a child with her because it's like an anthropological experiment. Real mean. Yes. So mean. Yeah, no. Well, so, okay. So, dude, I fucking the, hate Sarek as a character. I mean, I, I kind of like I him as a character, but him. I hate him. Like, if he were a real person in my life, like, I, I hate this guy in all no, of his iterations. Always. <laughs> I can't remember. I know there's a TOS episode where we meet Sarek and Amanda, and I think he might say something similar in that of like, well, I'm the ambassador to the Earth. What do you want me to do? I had to fuck a human. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like you're you're exactly right. There is an episode. Uh, it, what's one of the episodes that Ryan, you and I talked about when we were talking about the Kirk Spock ship? Yeah, I, I forget. I forget what that episode is is called, but it's it's like the meet the parents. Um, like if you imagine that that Kirk and Spock are like secretly dating, it's like the time that he he meets. Uh, nice. Yeah. He meets exactly. Spock's parents, and like Spock didn't even tell him that they were his parents. It's so awkward. <laughs> this movie borrows very heavily from that episode where the, Spock and Sarek basically have the same conversation in a different co- set, setting and context. But they're like, Spock's like, why did you marry her? And Sarek's like, oh, it's because I because it was logical. But then after she's dead, Sarek is like, Spock, actually, I loved your mom. So <laughs> yeah, it's that's kind of like a an sweet emotional moment. journey. It's a sweet moment, but it, I, I feel like it's one of those things where um, when someone's such an asshole, whenever they do something like kind of decent, you give them like a ton of points. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Who's your favorite Amanda Grayson? Mm. Oh. Like original I mean, series Amanda Grayson, um, Jenny Schechter from The L Word and Discovery, or <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> or, um, or Winona Ryder. That's a great question. I feel mm. like the original series, Amanda Grayson, is more glam, so I mm. like her outfit better. Yes. And I haven't watched enough of the Spock episodes of Discovery yet oh. to know for sure. Yeah. Um, Season two is pretty good. Oh, it's man. I just started it. Damn it's it. It's a huge improvement on season one. 
That's surprising because I love season one. I mean, I don't oh, love well, the Klingon like sexual harassment that goes on, but yes, um, or any of the Klingon plotline in Discovery. I mean, at the baseline, they made bad choices when they gave them prosthetic teeth <laughs> and made them speak the language. Yes. Yeah, there's like way fewer Klingons, and there's way fewer Klingons speaking Klingon in season two. The Klingons speak English. It's so much better. Oh, okay. Just learn to speak English. You're on a starship. <laughs> um, I'm just like, I don't want to read this weird fonted subtitles. Like, I know, what I the know. fuck, CBS? Yeah, that font was such a bad choice, too. <sighs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but anyway, back to Star Trek 2009 or like Amanda Grayson's. I like um, I like Winona Ryder's performance in this. She doesn't do a lot, but I think that she does quality acting in the short amount of time that she's given uh i also am like fascinated by the outfit that she wears her costume it's like this like very structured column gown that gives her a very sharp shelf bust situation Mm -hmm. it's so weird i agree very weird yeah (gasps) And she wears, like, a weird, like, burka as well for some reason. I think that's how she hides her human ears. Oh. Mm. oh. Okay. All right. Because, like, a lot of a lot of Sarek's wives do that. Like, this Amanda Grayson, um, the other Amanda Grayson just kind of covered it with, like, her 60s hair. And then, oh. like, uh, his second wife in uh, The Next Generation has, like this weird headband thing that covers and like neck thing oh. that covers her ears like like a like half of a nun habit and i think <laughs> it's like i think she's like ashamed of her round ears you know oh that's a good interesting call out. i think that, that makes sense because she's like one of very few humans living on vulcan oh man that would and- suck <laughs> yeah probably getting a lot of prejudicial like microaggressions every day I would feel gaslit constantly, like, every time I had a feeling. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I guess you could kind of salvage it by saying she probably accompanies Sarek on, like, diplomatic stuff, so she gets to go to other planets, maybe. But, yeah, Mm. I think being the one Mm. human on Vulcan would suck bowels. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, this is interesting. So, especially in Picard, the, like, Romulan um, Vulcan relationship is talked about a lot in Picard and it gets lightly talked about in this movie is there anything mm-hmm. to talk about as far as how Vulcans and Romulans keep butting heads even though aren't they like the same base species and like they just evolved differently together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I think it's yeah. like back in the day a bunch of Romulans left Vulcan and then um, they kind of became different species um, mm-hmm. something that's like both in Picard and in this film is that their languages are related, which is cool. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Which they just sort of reference here, but I know that when they were building the language for Picard, they looked at canonical Vulcan and had like a linguist like evolved it out of that, which is kind of neat. That is really cool. And the the center of the plot for both this movie and for Picard is the supernova that takes place that destroys right. Romulus. Um, yeah. So Picard... Yeah sort of let us know that it like it still happens in uh, the regular timeline. Um, right, right. I don't know. That's, that's all crazy. I got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, I think it means... kind of are weird. 
Mm. What's that? Oh, I'll, I want to hear what you have to say. I'll talk about the face tattoos later. What were you going to say? Oh, the face that? tattoos. Yeah, no, I definitely have like feelings about the face tattoos. Um, but I, d- I do also think that the story that we got from Star Trek Picard doesn't happen without the existence of this movie. Mm. Like just the creation of the event of the supernova of the Romulan sun makes the plot of Picard happen. So I think it's cool. I like the I like to think about, you know, different people coming in, different writers, different creators, um, and putting their own ideas into it and then like borrowing from each other and expanding on it. It's very it's like a cool kind of multi generational long-term collaboration and i just think it's it's awesome yeah i do also think that that's like where the genius of the kelvin verse comes in because it doesn't Mm. negate the other timelines at almost at all it doesn't negate them um and so it really gave jj abrams and co free reign to be totally different um Mm -hmm. and i i really like that because they can both exist simultaneously and i thought that was a really smart way to do that yeah it's yeah. really clever well to what becca was just saying about all these different writers that like it reminds me of how people engage with like ancient mythology or like the bible and or like Oof. these great stories that like shakespeare retold like different authors retelling stories and changing them slightly over time and they have all these different lives um or even mm-hmm. like fan fiction it's really fun and it's like fun to see it happen in star trek that's really smart yeah i guess Thanks. It is. You you own that. You need to hold on to that. That's great. Yes. Yes. Can we just talk about how good like Bones and Scotty were? I'm oh my so gosh. I that. really love Bones in this. Ugh. I am into Keith Urban and uh he's much less racist against Vulcans uh, than the original Bones. Yes. Though though quick point of order uh uh, Carl Urban is the actor. Keith Urban is oh, the Carl. tiny. <laughs> Keith Urban. Keith Urban is the. Keith, Keith Urban, Urban is, is the married teeny tiny face. country singer that Nicole Kidman is married to. But you know yes. what? He's also not racist against Vulcan, so it totally works. Um, but yeah, Isn't he also like a restaurateur. Is he? I think so. <laughs> It is endlessly funny to me that giant goddess Nicole Kidman is married to this little man concentrate guy and is obsessed. It's so it's so cute to me. Yes, she likes tiny dudes. She does. She right. Does. Tom Cruise is not that big. He's, He's like my it. height. I'm into it. God bless. We love a short king. Word. Um, but Carl Urban. <laughs> Carl Urban, yes, Carl Urban <laughs> is great, perfectly cast. Yeah, he does. He just does like very over it, uh, jaded. Like I'm gonna die in space. It does confuse me why he has this job at all, based on mm. what he says in the opening scene. But yeah. you know what? He just has to be curmudgeonly. His wife took the planet in the divorce. <laughs> he had to leave. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. He has my fa- one of my favorite and I think best written lines in this movie, which is space is disease and danger wrapped in darkness and silence. Just. I love it. So good. Truly really love it. Yeah, it, it feels 
It feels very Hobbesian to me, like life is like short, brutal, and whatever. Full of sound and fury. Yeah, is that nasty, that brutal, mm. and short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. He's perfect, perfect casting. He's so good in this. I also like how they got every single person's catchphrase in, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is, I guess, a good transition to talking about Scotty because they have him say, I'm giving her all she's got. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. There are so many like tiny moments of like Easter eggs and fan service in this movie, even though they changed so much, like the look and feel of it, they like brought so much too. like, I don't think I'd noticed before, but on this rewatching, I was noticing that a lot of the classic background sounds are all there. Mm-hmm. Like you hear the little doo-doo-doo, doo-doo-doo mm-hmm. in the background. Um, like it's And it's like the same. It's like the same ship noises. It's crazy. Who else's catchphrases got in there? I don't remember. We got, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not an ex. <laughs> <laughs> we got, oh, what's Chekhov's one? Because we got, I mean, should we talk about Chekhov at this point? Oh, Chekhov. Yes. He's so cute. Rest in peace, oh. Anton Yelchin. What a tragedy, his passing. He died in this really crazy way. Like his yeah. own car ran over him. Yeah. I remember I was really freaked as like someone with an anxiety disorder. I was really freaked out by this. I was like, you can die at any moment for any crazy reason. Like there is nothing that makes sense about that at all. No. And it's just so like tragic. You could be getting your mail one day and then just get run over by your own car. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's Jesus. a really good documentary I just watched about him called it's called the uh, Love and Toja. And it's about Mm. him coming up as an actor. And it's really good. Um, And it it talks through this movie. And it has like Chris Pine talking about how everybody liked him. But he was like a real weirdo. Um, (laughs) Wait, what? How is he a weirdo? (laughs) So this is, it's so good. And you should watch this documentary. Um, But so he, at the time of this movie, is only like 21 something, Mm. if he's that old. He's so young. But he would go out, like, he had all these crazy side projects where he would, like, go to these, like, secret underground nightclubs in L.A. and, like, take naked pictures of people and, like, just, like, follow homeless people around all day and, like, just become friends with them. Like, he has this crazy, not secret life, but just side project life that he Hmm. was really into. It's a great documentary. I was really skeptical about it. And it's awesome. What did you say it was called? It's called Love and Toja. And I don't know... It's like A N T O S H I A. And it's really hmm. it's heartbreaking cuz it's narrated by his parents a lot of the time oh and my like God. he he had like a, a serious like love affair with his parents in the way that I think only children sometimes do but like they were like three best friends all of them and mm. so it's really tragic but it is a good movie anyway. And I'm I think so he's sad. well cast for in sharing this. that. His accent is so thick, but it's completely <laughs> accurate. Yes. It's so charming, too. He's just, I, I really love him in this movie. Yeah, I agree. Except for I think we're missing a little bit of like the Chekhov like scampishness in this. Mm. Um, but I think we get that in Into Darkness. I don't remember if he gets to be a little more rascally in that mm. movie, but it's great. It's a great performance. And I, I like Sulu. What is the actor who plays him? John What's Cho. His name again? John, John Cho, Cho. yeah. Uh, John Cho is so handsome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. So I so we talked earlier about the fencing, but I love the fencing because it's a callback to 
OG Sulu. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, ugh, God, this was so long ago. So this like maybe is a vague fact, but I think that John Cho like practiced fencing <laughs> in order to be able to be in this movie because he was like, I'm going to honor uh, George Takei, mm. you know, uh, like before he auditioned or yeah mm-hmm. okay that's cool because I'm like I think I feel like they would make him take less <laughs> right <laughs> I love it uh, and he does a great job and I'm glad he gets to be gay in the later movies that's really nice mm-hmm. yeah I, God, at the time I remember um, George Takei himself was like oh but I don't want the character of Sulu to be gay now, like, uh, because the character that I created was not a gay man, um, even though George Takei himself is. So there's some like weird kind of like weird controversy in there about that. I, I don't know. Happening. Actors don't own their characters. True. <laughs> Maybe Kelvin yeah. Universe Sulu is Pan. <laughs> he just he married a dude, but we can it can all be canon. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If he ever met uh, Prime Sulu, he'd be like, "Wow, I had no idea I was gay?" Question mark. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Yeah. Like when, like when Willow meets, um, like uh, Vampire Willow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys are Buffy people. Yeah. When Willow meets Vampire Willow, she's like, "I think I'm kind of gay," and then she ends up being gay in later seasons. <laughs> yes, that's hilarious. Yes. Oh, oh people keep forgetting that buy and pan people exist. Come on, George Takei. No, yeah, come no, on, George. Buy invisibility is real. Fuck that. Fuck that. So I, so I think this is a maybe a way to wrap up the conversation. The plot of this movie takes place, or like most of the action takes place after Kirk's disciplinary hearing is oh. interrupted mm-hmm. for having, like, cheated at the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah. And then word comes in that Vulcan is under attack. And then at the end of the movie, Kirk's, like, getting commended for his heroism uh, in destroying Nero's ship and his attack on Earth. And I'm like... Question number one, how much time has passed between these two things? 12 hours, maybe? <laughs> yeah, you're right. And question number two, it's like, how are they How are they going from this cadet was in a disciplinary hearing to, yeah, cool, he's captain of the Enterprise now. <laughs> like, I have the answer. What? Yeah. It's called white privilege. <laughs> it's, the, it's the same thing. This, Male I privilege. Was, I noticed Male this privilege. this time around, yes. too. It's such a slap in the face that Pike makes Kirk uh, second in command as he's leaving. That is so bullshit when he first boards Nero's ship. He's like, anyway, Spock's in charge. But in case Spock fails, Kirk, you're in charge. It's like, oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. Wait a minute. Pike this person such who a should be. for Kirk's dad. That's I like know. my yes. only interp- like the only thing that makes sense. He's like, I did my dissertation on this dude. And the closest thing to meeting him is meeting his kid. It's so trifling because you know there's like a woman or alien of color who was actually next in line and Pike is like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yes. We do have to give it to this basically school criminal, <laughs> you know. Uh, I have to give it to him. I'm so sorry. Look at his eyebrows. Come on. You would do it too. I mean, yeah, you can't say no to those eyebrows. And the mm. person is like, well, I've been working here for 14 years. 
Uh, I named my kid after you, but sure, go ahead. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> Fuck you, Captain Pike. You know what, Captain Pike? I liked you better when you couldn't say a damn thing. Beep, beep, Captain Pike. Beep, fucking beep. <gasps> oh, that's so terrible. Beep, fucking Yeah, beep. I don't think so, honey. Captain Pike, okay? Right. Oh, I just want to, I mean, we can cut this out. Other than Molly uh, suggesting that we should talk about Star Trek 2009, my dad has been bothering me basically since we launched this podcast. Like, when are you going to talk about Chris Pine in Star yes. Trek 2009? He loves these films, doesn't see an hmm. issue with them, doesn't have all of the like, oh, but it's too shiny. There's lens flare things <laughs> that happen on the internet. So I'm just like, there are like original fans of star trek who like this film my dad is proof of that and mm. um hi papa shout out nice. got on the podcast <laughs> i would shout out my papa too because he also likes this movie but then i remembered i said i wanted to like basically do the splits onto zachary quinto's mouth <laughs> first, so. yeah i'm not gonna be sending this to him and sorry ryan's papa that you had to listen I to this <laughs> Oops, uh, my, my parents, parents are used to it. My parents are so far past like being embarrassed by the shit I say. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we got a uh, pity God, <laughs> God bless. I love it. Um, so we have a shout out. We got another donation on our PayPal from Tyler Schwartz. Uh, thank you so much, Tyler. And um, for everybody else who's out there and wants to send us some good vibes in the form of dollars, <laughs> you can go to paypal.me slash Federation and Fempire. Or you can join our um, subscriber feed, and that is through podfan, pod.fan slash intertractional. I have a final thought, and my <laughs> final thought is, I can't believe we didn't bring this up before, but my headcanon is that by the second film, Kirk, Spock, and Uhura are in like a triad. <gasps> Ooh. Yes. Yes. See, and I would be really remiss Molly if that we go back to writing fan up. fiction right now. Yes. Speaking of fan fiction, I just want to plug there is a San Francisco event called Shipwreck, and it's where they get uh, local authors and comedians together to write fan fiction competitively about uh, famous literature. And I've done Whoa. it a bunch of times. It was like the most fun live event I've ever been to. But now they're taking it digital as a fundraiser for uh, the Booksmith Bookshop in The Hate. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Friday, April 17th, uh, there's going to be an online competitive erotic fan fiction of Jane Austen's book, Emma, and I'm one of the writers. Uh, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So you can find that by following uh, the booksmith on Twitter, and there'll be information on how to uh, follow along there. But it should be a really fun, horny, uh, awesome time on Friday, April 17th. So make sure. And that, that's uh, yeah. at the booksmith. Right, at the Booksmith on Twitter, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm excited. Thank you for having me, y'all. This is my favorite. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, I'm so excited. Love I'm it. so glad we got to talk about this movie. Um, I love you, Becca. I love you, Molly. Um, I love you, Intertrekkies. And uh, live long and prosper. Peace and long life. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalese and Becca Motola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kavka. 
follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, you can help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. You can donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire or you can become a member of our member feed on podfan that is pod.fan slash intertractional yeah okay but anson mel was the love interesting crossroads so i feel like we know which trump's which okay (laughs) wait anson mel was in crossroads yes he hooks up with britney spears he takes britney spears's virginity in crossroads it's great wow yeah all right anyway the first time i've wanted to live britney spears's life oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah